just a reminder to share, like, and subscribe to the show wherever you are listening to it. And please, give it a five-star rating as it helps the show to beat the big tech algorithms. Also, if you love the Red Pill Patriot Show, please consider becoming a patron subscriber for as little as $5 a month. With that, you'll have early access to each weekly episode and exclusive content, including access to the Daily Dose videos and many other perks and benefits. Just visit the show's Facebook page by searching for Red Pill Patriot Show and click on the blue Shop Now button to see all the options for supporting us. And remember, support what you love or it goes away. Thanks, everyone. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. offering is the truth nothing more have you heard of hr 5383 also known as the new way forward act if not there is a very specific reason why and that is because in true political elitist fashion the democrats this time around don't want you to know what they're up to the mainstream media isn't reporting anything on this because they are on the official they are the official propaganda arm of the democratic progressive leftist movement and are more than happy to keep every american distracted with anything but the truth. Stay tuned because in this episode of the Red Pill Patriot show I'm going to expose this horrible bill for exactly what it is and let you know that we the people what we must do in order to keep it from ever becoming a law here in America. All this and so much more today on the Red Pill Patriot Show. Hello once again, America, and welcome to the show. I am your host, Dr. Matt, and I am so excited to be sitting here today with you and talking about a very important topic that most of you probably haven't heard a thing about, and we'll get into that here shortly. But before I tackle today's topic, I wanted to share with you a few items that caught my attention in the news over the last week. And you really won't believe your ears on this first one that I share with you. But I want to get into what I'm calling this segment, Newsworthy News. So without further delay, let's go ahead and do that right now. Quite the cool news jingle there, don't you think? So, first story I want to share with you. There's two this week. And the first one is um, regarding the University of Virginia. And the article says, quote, this, well, a student says here at the University of Virginia, uh, it says, there are, quote, too many white people at school's new multicultural center, end quote. Yeah, so uh, 
you can probably see why I picked this just from the title alone, but let's get into some of the details, okay? So, the University of Virginia on Wednesday reminded those on campus that it's newly opened Multicultural Student Center, or MSC for short. You'll see why I said that here shortly, but it's the Multicultural Student Center is open to everyone after a viral video emerged of a student making a, quote, public service announcement that there were too many white people using the facility. The video was posted on Twitter by the Young Americans Foundation with a caption that said, quote, leftists at the school were, quote, dictating who is and who isn't allowed at the center. So let's listen in on what was said here so you can hear exactly what this young lady had to say. Public service announcement. Excuse me. If y'all didn't know, this is the MSC. And frankly, there's just too many white people in here and this is a space for people of color. So just be really cognizant of the space that you're taking up because it does make some of us POCs uncomfortable when we see too many white people in here. It's only been open for four days. And frankly, there's the whole university for a lot of y'all to be at. And there's very few spaces for us. So keep that in mind. Thank you. How on earth? Are we supposed to unify America with stuff like that being said anywhere, let alone on our nation's college campuses? I mean, clearly, to anyone that has any any common sense, this is a highly charged, highly racial, racist statement. And if you want to know why, all you have to do is switch out the color word choice, and that clearly proves my point. Okay, so now what I'm going to do here is I'm going to say exactly what she said. Okay, I'm, I'm going to say verbatim what she said, except I'm going to swap out a couple of the color word choices that she used. And you can tell me if this seems racist to you. So here we go. Public service announcement. Excuse me. If y'all didn't know, this is the MSC. And frankly, they're just too many black people in here, and this is a space for people of whiteness. So just be really cognizant of the space you're taking up, because it does make many of us POWs, persons of whiteness, uncomfortable when we see too many black people in here since it's only been open for four days. And frankly, there's the whole university for a lot of y'all to be at, and there's very few spaces for us. So keep that in mind. Thank you. Oh, okay. That made me feel uncomfortable and disgusted just to say it, and uh, and 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 again, it's just it's it's an example of how crazy this this young woman is. Now, hopefully, um, it it makes it very clear that that this this whole thing is just completely laced with racism. Now, I will say this, okay. Does this young woman have the constitutional right to say what's on her mind? You better believe she does. And I, as a patriot, will defend her right to do so. But can you imagine what would be said nationwide if someone who is white uh, would say that? You know, if someone would say that exact same thing like I just did for you as an example, okay, it's just an example, everyone. Don't go cutting that and putting it out there and saying, oh my gosh, look at the host of the Red Pill Patriot Show. He's the biggest racist in the world. Because I'm not. I'm not. And if anyone will listen to this in context, they'll know that I'm not. But can you imagine 
if that was said by someone who is white, what would happen to Twitter, Facebook, the national press, uh, the newspapers? I mean, the backlash would be devastating, and that person would be canceled and shut down and and everything. And and I will say, you know, the University of Virginia did say, they did go on record saying that it is a place for all people. I mean, it's called the Multicultural Student Center, the MSC Multicultural, all cultures, uh, which, you know, there's lots of races within the culture. So um, I just, I couldn't believe it when I saw this. And the thing that really got me was at the end of her little speech, there were people clapping, at least one or two students that were clapping and cheering her on. I, I just, I, I can't believe it. But this is the state of our country when it comes to higher education. They're preaching um, victimhood. I mean, that's that's what this is. So, you know, I will say that, thankfully, uh, there are POCs, or persons of color, in America that are willing to speak up for America. And I'd just like to show you one quick response to this young lady's uh, young lady's comment, and this is Mr. David J. Harris and what he had to say about her. I'm sorry, but that is not what the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King stood for, lived for, nor should any of us. Are you kidding me? You, you feel like you are afraid because you're around some white folks? Get out of your own way. Stop playing the victim. We all need to live together peaceably, in unity, loving each other. That's the only way that we're going to keep this country moving in the right direction. We don't want to go back to segregation or Jim Crow days. And that's exactly what you're doing. Amen. That's about all I can say. He summed up in 27 seconds how we should all feel about this kind of speech from anyone. It is regressive. It's divisive. And it has no place. I mean, like I said, people are going to say what they want to say. And I I defend their right to say it. That's the First Amendment. You can speak your mind. Okay. And if you don't like listening to what they say, don't listen. Obviously, no one has to listen to what you have to say or anyone else has to say. But this is a perfect example of things, I think, personally, that are furthering the division here in the country. Now, got that out of the way. Let's move on to story number two, okay? And this one is kind of the complete opposite of, of that first story because I feel it's it's very hopeful. It's very encouraging, and it's actually a kind of a feel-good story. And, and this article is found on medium.com. And I wanted to share it with you because it, again, it, it, it's bringing Americans together, I feel. I feel it is. And I'll let you be the judge of that. I don't want to try and summarize it. What I want to do is I want to read it to you verbatim because it is a letter written uh, by, by an individual. And uh, the title of the article says, After attending a Trump rally, I realize Democrats are not ready for 2020. Now, the author goes on to say, and I'm just going to read this to you here. It says, I've been a Democrat for 20 years, but this experience made me realize how out of touch my party is with the country at large. I think those of us on the left need to take a long look in the mirror and have an honest conversation about what's going on. If you had told me three years ago that I would ever attend a Donald Trump rally, I would have laughed and assured you that that was never going to happen. Heck, if you had told me I would do it in three, do it three months ago, I probably would have done the same thing. So how did I find myself among 11,000-plus Trump supporters in Manchester, New Hampshire? Believe it or not, it all started with knitting. You might not think that the world, the knitting world, as a, you may, sorry, you may not think of the knitting world as a particularly political community, but you'd be wrong. 
many knitters are active in social justice communities and love to discuss the revolutionary role knitters have played in our culture. I started noticing this about a year ago, particularly on Instagram. I knit as a way to relax and escape the drama of real life, not to further engage with it. But it was impossible to ignore after roving gangs of online social justice warriors started going after everyone in the knitting community who was not lockstep in their ideology. Knitting stars on Instagram were bullied and mobbed by hundreds of people for seemingly innocuous offenses. One man got mobbed so badly that he had a nervous breakdown and was admitted to the hospital on suicide watch. Many things were not right about the hatred and witnessing the vitriol coming from those I had aligned myself with politically was a massive wake-up call. <clears throat> okay, before I go on here, first of all, I gotta be honest with you. I had no idea that social justice warriors were infiltrating the massively expansive world of knitting and that there were knitting stars on Instagram. So I learned a little bit about this um, right here from this woman, but I will go on here. She goes on to say, you see, I was one of those Democrats who considered anyone who voted for Trump a racist. I thought they were horrible, yes, even deplorable, and worked very hard to eliminate their voices from my spaces by unfriending or blocking people who spoke about their support for, of him. However, mine are their comments. I watched a lot of MSNBC and was convinced that everything he had done was horrible, that he hated anyone who wasn't a straight white man, and that he had no redeeming qualities. But when I witnessed the amount of hate coming from the left in this small, niche, knitting community... I started to question everything. I started making a proactive effort to break my echo chamber by listening to voices I thought would disagree, I would disagree with. I wanted to understand their perspective, believe it would confirm that they were filled with hate for anyone who wasn't like them. That turned out not to be the case. The more voices outside the left that I listened to, the more I realized that these were not bad people. They were not racists, Nazis, or white supremacists. We had differences of opinion on social and economic issues, but a difference of opinion does not make your opponent inherently evil, and they could justify their opinions using arguments rather than, shout, rather than shouting and ranting I saw coming from my side of the aisle. I started to discover, or perhaps rediscover, the hashtag walkaway movement. I had heard about hashtag walkaway when MSNBC told me it was fake and a bunch of Russian bots. But then I started to meet real people who had been Democrats and made the decision to leave because they could not stand the way the left was behaving. I watched town halls they held with different minority communities, all available in their entirety on YouTube, and I saw sane, rational discussion from people of all different races, backgrounds, orientations, and experiences. I joined the Facebook group for the community and saw stories popping up daily of people sharing why they were leaving the Democratic Party. This wasn't fake. These people are not Russian bots. Moreover, it felt like a breath of fresh air. There was not universal agreement in this group. Some were Trump supporters, some weren't. But they talked and shared their perspective without shouting or rage or trying to cancel each other. I started to question everything. How many stories had I been told? Had, had, how, many, how many stories had I been sold that weren't true? What if my perception of the other side is wrong? How is it possible that half the country is overtly racist? Is it possible that Trump derangement syndrome is a real thing? And had I been suffering from it for the past three years? 
And the biggest question of all was this. Did I hate Trump so much that I wanted to see my country fail just, in, just to spite him and everyone who voted for him? Fast forward to the New Hampshire primary, and we have all the politicians running around the state making their case. I've seen almost every Democratic candidate in person and noticed that their messages were almost universally one of doom and gloom, not only focusing on the obvious disagreements with Donald Trump, but also making sure to emphasize that the country is a horribly racist place. Now, I do believe there are very real issues when it comes to race that we as a society have yet to reckon with. I believe that everyone from every background of every gender should have equal access to opportunities and that no one is inherently more or less valuable or worthy than anyone else. And while the 2017 protests in Charlottesville, Virginia led to a tragedy precipitated by real racists and real Nazis and real white supremacists, I started to see that those labels simply don't apply to most people who support Trump. But with all of this, I was still reticent to even consider attending a Trump event. I do not believe that Trump's attitude is worthy of the highest office in the land. I abhor his Twitter. I vehemently oppose to so many of his policies. But still, I wanted to see for myself. I'm not going to lie. I was nervous. So I thought I would start my day in familiar territory at an MSNBC live show that was taking place a few blocks away from the rally. I decided to wear my red hat that looks like a Trump hat, but with one small difference. It says, quote, make speech free again, end quote, as my small protest against cancel culture. I even got a photo with MSNBC host Ari Melber while I was wearing it just for kicks. The funny thing about that hat is that it's completely open to interpretation. When I wear it around left-leaning people, they think I'm talking about the right. When I wear it around right-leaning folks, they think I'm talking about the left. It's a stark reminder of how much of our, our own perspectives and biases play into how we view the world. In chatting with folks at the taping, I casually said that I was thinking about going over to the Trump rally. The first reaction they had was a genuine fear for my safety. I had never seen people I didn't know so passionately urge me to avoid all those people. One woman told me that those people were the lowest of the low. Another man told me that he had gone to one of Trump's rallies in the past and had been the target of harassment by large, muscle-bound men. Another woman offered me her pepper spray. I assured them all that I thought I would be fine and that I would get back, get the, I would get the heck out of Dodge if I got nervous. What they didn't know is that they weren't the only ones I had heard from who were afraid. Some of my more right-leaning friends online expressed genuine fear at my going, but not because they were afraid of the attendees. They were afraid of people on the left violently attacking attendees. This was one day after a man had run his car through a Republican voter registration tent in Florida, and there was a genuine fear that there would be a repeat, repeat of, that ant, of that or that Antifa would bust people up from Boston for it. Just as I had assured those on the left, I told them I thought I would be fine, because we don't really have Antifa in New Hampshire. But I'm, going, I'm not going to say I didn't get, a, get to me a bit. When everyone around you is nervous for your safety, it's hard not to question if they have a point. But it also made me more determined to see it through, because it was a stark reminder that both sides view each other exactly the same way. They are both afraid of the other side and what they are capable of. 
I couldn't help but think that if they could just see the world through the lens of the other for a moment or two, it would be a stark revelation that they don't know as much as they think they do. So I headed over an hour and a half before the doors were scheduled to open, which was four hours before Trump was set to take the stage, and the line already stretched a mile away from the entrance to the arena. As I waited, I chatted with some of the folks around me, and contrary to all the fears expressed, they were so nice. I was not harassed or intimidated, and I was never in fear of my safety, even for a moment. These were average, everyday people. They were veterans, school teachers, and small business owners who had come from all over the place for the thrill of attending this rally. They were upbeat and excited. In chatting, I even let it slip that I was a Democrat. The reaction? Good for you. Welcome. Once we got inside, the atmosphere was jubilant. It was more like attending a rock concert than a political rally. People were genuinely enjoying themselves. Some were even dancing to music being played over the loudspeakers. It was so different than any other political event I had ever attended. Even the energy around Barack Obama in 2008 didn't feel like this. I had attended an event with all the Democratic contenders just two days prior in exactly the same arena, and the contrast was stark. First, Trump completely filled the arena all the way up to the top. Even with every major Democratic candidate in attendance the other night, and the campaigns giving away free tickets, the Democrats did not do that. With Trump, every single person was unified around a singular goal. With the Democrats, the audience booed over candidates they didn't like and got into literal shouting matches with each other. With Trump, there was a genuinely optimistic view of the future. With the Democrats, it was doom and gloom. With Trump, there was a genuine feeling of pride of being an American. With the Democrats, they emphasized that the country was a racist place from top to bottom. Now, Trump is always going to be is always going to present present the best case he can. And yes, he lies. This is provable, but the strength of this rally wasn't about the facts and figures. It was a group of people who felt like they had someone in their corner who would fight for them. Some people say, quote, well, obviously they're having a great time. They're in a cult, end quote. And I don't think that's true. The reality is that many people I spoke to do disagree with Trump on things. They don't always like his attitude. They wish he wouldn't tweet so much. People who are in cults don't question their leaders. The people I spoke with did, but the pros in their eyes far outweighed the cons. They don't love him because they think he's perfect. They love him despite his flaws, because they believe he has their back. As I left the rally, walking past thousands of people who were watching it on a giant monitor outside the arena because they couldn't get in, I knew there was no way Trump would lose in November. Absolutely no way. I truly believe that it doesn't matter who the Democrats nominate, Trump is going to trounce them. I don't, if you, if you don't believe me, attend one of his rallies and see for yourself. Don't worry. They really won't hurt you. Today, I voted in the New Hampshire Democratic primary for Pete Buttigieg. I genuinely feel that Pete would be great for this country, and maybe he'll have his opportunity in the future. But tomorrow, I'll be changing my voter registration from Democrat to Independent and walking away from the party I've spent the past 20 years in to sit in the middle for a while. There are extremes in both parties that I am uncomfortable with, but I also fundamentally believe that most people on both sides are good, decent human beings who want the best for the country and have dramatic disagreements on how to get there. But until we start seeing each other as human beings, there will be no bridging the divide. 
I refuse to be a part of the divisiveness any longer. I refuse to hate people I don't know simply because they choose to vote for someone else. If we're going to heal the country, we have to start taking steps towards one another rather than away. I think the Democrats have an ass-kicking coming to them in November, and I think most of them will be utterly shocked when it happens, because they're existing in an echo chamber. That is not reflective of the broader reality. I hope it's a wake-up call that causes them to take a long look in the mirror and really ask themselves how they got there. Maybe then they'll start listening. I tend to doubt it, but I can hope. Wow. What a great absolutely fantastic article. I love this article. I I love it. And the reason I love it is because she was open to the thought that maybe what she'd been told wasn't 100% correct. And she found out she was right. And I'm one of those people. I did not vote for President Trump in 2016 because I had no idea what kind of a president he would be. I knew some of his actions. I'd seen some of the things he did in the past. Did I like some of his things he did? Yes, I didn't like other things he did. But I can tell you, going on four years later, 2020, President Trump has my vote. And the reason he has my vote is because I've looked at what he's done for the country. I've looked at what he's done for the citizens. And while I don't always agree with his actions personally or the things he chooses to say, while yet some of them are pretty funny, I'm not going to lie, as far as a leader for this country, he has done more for America than any president in recent years. More than Barack Obama, more than President George, George W. Bush, uh, you know, Clinton. Take it back. I mean, I think he's honestly done more for America and its people um, over these past few years you know, I guess the last I would say that was as, as good as he was, or actually probably maybe in a little better, is Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was amazing. But this article's on Medium. I would encourage you to find it. If you want a copy, you can message me here at the show, and I'll get you a copy. I'll, I'll send it out, and I'll even put a link to it on our social media so you have that there. So, guys, that is the newsworthy news and I want to go ahead and we'll move forward here and get into the rest of the show. So now that we got the news out of the way, let's talk about the main topic here which is the uh, House Resolution 5383, also known as the New Way Forward Act. But before we actually get into the bill, I thought since it's going to be, this show is going to be all about some very exciting uh, things. You know, everyone gets all excited about the fast-paced and exciting world of federal legislation. Um, I thought it would be good to kind of go back and do a, a small civics review because Honestly, not too many people get that these days in their public education for, for the younger people. And many of us that are a little bit older may have forgotten some of these things. So what I want to do is review how a bill becomes a law. And for that, I want to turn to something that we don't see today at all, at least as far as I'm, I, I know. And it's kind of going back to when I was a kid uh, many, many, many years ago. If uh, If you remember... What Saturday mornings used to be like for us kids, and and uh, 
it was all about cartoons. You would get up early, run downstairs, and plant yourself in front of the TV and watch cartoons from 6 in the morning till 11, 11.30 in, in the morning. So about three, four, four hours, four and a half hours of, of nothing but pure animated crack. <laughs> well, in between the shows that I love to watch, there was this thing called Schoolhouse Rock. And at the time, I hated it. I'm not going to lie to you. It was it was cheesy animation. Not that much animation back then was nearly as good as it is now. But it was really bad. And on top of that, they had the audacity to try and teach me something and not just entertain me. But I have grown a lot since those days, in case you're wondering. And what I want to do is just share with you some audio from one of those episodes about... Um, well, it's titled, I'm Just a Bill. And it kind of gives a quick summary of how... Uh, how a bill becomes a law. So let's take a listen. As your body grows bigger, your mind must flower. It's great to learn, because knowledge is power. It's Schoolhouse Rocky, a chip off the block of your favorite Schoolhouse, Schoolhouse Rock. I'm just a bill. You sure got to climb a lot of steps to get to this Capitol building here in Washington. Well, I wonder who that sad little scrap of paper is. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the Capitol City. It's a long, long wait while I'm sitting in committee. But I know I'll be a law someday, at least I hope and pray that I will. But today I am still just a bill. Gee, Bill, you certainly have a lot of patience and courage. Well, I got this far. When I started, I wasn't even a bill. I was just an idea. Some folks back home decided they wanted a law passed, so they called their local congressman, and he said, you're right, there ought to be a law. Then he sat down and wrote me out and introduced me to Congress, and I became a bill. And I'll remain a bill until they decide to make me a law. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I got as far as Capitol Hill. Well, now I'm stuck in committee, and I'll sit here and wait while a few key congressmen discuss and debate whether they should let me be alone. I hope and pray that they will, but today I am still just a bill. Listen to those congressmen arguing. Is all that discussion and debate about you? Yeah, I'm one of the lucky ones. Most bills never even get this far. I hope they decide to report on me favorably, otherwise I may die. Die? Yeah, die in committee. Oh, but it looks like I'm gonna live. Now I go to the House of Representatives and they vote on me. If they vote yes, what happens? Then I go to the Senate and the whole thing starts all over again. Oh, no. Oh, yes. I'm just a bill, yes, I'm only a bill. And if they vote for me on Capitol Hill, well, then I'm off to the White House where I'll wait in a line with a lot of other bills for the president to sign. And if he signs me, then I'll be alone. I hope and pray that he will, but today I am still just a bill. 
You mean even if the whole Congress says you should be a law, the president can still say no? Yes, that's called a veto. If the president vetoes me, I have to go back to Congress and they vote on me again, and by that time you're so By old, that time, it's very unlikely that you become a law. It's not easy to become a law, is it? No. But how I hope and pray that I will, but today I am still just a bill. He signed your bill, now you're a law. Oh, yes! <laughs> kind of cheesy, but uh, but still, it, it drives home some basic points of how a bill becomes a law. So I do want to review some of that and expand upon it a little bit, because there is, there is some other more options to it. But... Like that audio clip said, every single bill that is sent up to Capitol Hill, it starts out as an idea. And those ideas can come from constituents, members of Congress, or even the president himself. And once that idea is formalized, the next step is for a senator or a representative to introduce and sponsor the bill. Now, a bill can originate in either the Senate or the House of Representatives, with the exception of bills for raising revenue. These must originate in the House because they control the power of the purse. Once introduced, the bill must be referred to the appropriate committee. Currently, there are 20 standing committees in the House and 16 standing committees in the Senate. While in committee, the bill is discussed, debated, marked up by the various committee members, and finally voted on. It should be noted that the House has stricter rules when it comes to the debating of bills than the Senate, and therefore must be presented to the House Rules Committee before being introduced to the House floor for the vote. The rules of the committee will determine what rules will be in place while the bill is being discussed and debated in the House. A, quote, closed rule set has uh, strict limits on the time for the debate and that there cannot be any amendments added to the bill. An open rule uh, allows for amendments, basically. So it sets up the same time limit, but there can be amendments added to the bill. Most recent example would have been the, the uh, Jobs and Tax Act bill that was passed early on in President Trump's first um, well, look at me, his first term, because I'm confident he's going to win his second term. But um, at one point, uh, I believe there were some amendments added to that to that had nothing to do with jobs and taxes, but they were put in place there, particularly by, I believe it was Senator Murkowski from Alaska, to open up uh, federal land for drilling for oil and things like that. That had nothing to do with that, but they amended that in producing the final copy of the bill so they would get passed because certain people wanted something out of the bill. So that's what the difference is between a closed rule set and an open rule set. <clears throat> now, once the rules have been set, the bill moves to the House floor where representatives do indeed debate the substance of the bill. Once the debating is concluded, the bill is voted upon by the members of the Congress in that specific chamber. If the vote is an, is in the affirmative, it heads over to the other chamber of Congress, Congress, and the process begins there all over again. Now, like I mentioned, the rules in the Senate aren't as strict as in the House, and with that there comes some political maneuvering that can be done, namely a thing called the filibuster. And you may have heard of this term before, but they said, what the heck is a filibuster? Um, well, a filibuster is a prolonged speech given by a senator or a group of senators in hopes of stopping the passage of a bill. I've seen some of these in the past, and one of the most famous ones was by um, Senator Ted Cruz from Texas, and uh, it was rather lengthy. The filibuster can only be stopped by a close motion, a closer motion, which requires a three-fifths vote in the Senate. Now, once any amendments to the bill have been made, 
and the debates between the congressional members is complete, the vote is held again in this chamber. It should be noted that if a bill passes in both the House and the Senate, but it is not the exact same bill, then it is actually put in a then actually a conference committee is formed where the differences between the two versions of the bill are smoothed out, and then the final version of the bill is once again voted on in both the House and the Senate because they can only vote. You no, know, it has to be the exact same copy. There can't be amendments on one and not on the other, so they have to get that all worked out. So it has to be the exact same bill that both the House and the Senate vote on. Next up, the bill heads to the desk of the president assuming that it passes both the House and the Senate, where he can sign the bill into law, he can veto the bill, and if the bill is vetoed by the president, it's sent back to Congress where it will die, essentially, unless they can override the veto with two-thirds vote in the affirmative in both the House of Representatives and the Senate. Now, there is a third option for the president that you may or may not know about called the pocket veto and you may be wondering, what the heck is a pocket veto? Well, a pocket veto is where the president neither signs nor vetoes the bill, and Congress goes out of session in the next 10 days. When this happens, basically the president doesn't have to incur the the negative press of vetoing a bill necessarily, and it hopefully just kind of quietly goes away. Okay? So, that in a nutshell is how a bill becomes a law. And... And it, you can see it's not an easy process. Um, and you know, I will tell you that I'm actually grateful for this whole process because as complicated as it is, it shows that the founders, when they drafted the Constitution, really had a lot of forethought and insight into balancing the powers here in America. And it should be mentioned that currently, if you look at all the bills that have been presented to uh, Congress and the president, uh, over the history of, of the United States, roughly only about 4% of the bills that were introduced have actually become laws. Now, of course, the process is considerably easier when one party controls the presidency, the House of Representatives, and the Senate, but that doesn't always ensure that it happens. But So you can kind of see why some people say that Washington's broken and there's nothing but gridlock and yada, 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 yada. But I definitely would say I appreciate the fact that it's difficult for a bill to become a law, but it is a very cool process to understand the basics. Now, coming up after the break, I'm going to introduce you to one of the most horrific bills that I've alluded to already. This is absolutely horrendous, and when we break it down for you, I think you'll be shocked. And uh, I think you'll be in agreement with me that hopefully you do not want this to become a law because it would be devastating for America. Have you found yourself concerned about the censorship that's occurring in social media these days on platforms like Facebook and Twitter? Well, fear no more because the algorithms of Big Brother are no more going to affect you when you take a look at Minds.com. You see, Minds.com is a great platform that's fairly new, and you don't have to worry about demonetization, censorship, or unfair treatment that we have come to expect from Facebook and the other social media networks. See, Minds offers a fully transparent, privacy-focused platform with no bias, hidden algorithms, or censorship. And if you're a content creator like me, you can upgrade to a pro account, get paid for your work, morph your channel into a full-blown website with your own subdomain or custom domain, newsfeed, logo, theme, categories, the works. 
Mines allows you to leverage the blockchain and crypto payments to eliminate the middleman and maintain autonomy over your revenue streams. So you can say goodbye to Patreon and those companies like that. If you're tired of Facebook holding you back, set up your Minds.com account and be sure to subscribe to the Red Pill Patriot channel right away. And now, back to the show. All right, so we've been talking about all kinds of things today, but now let's get into the nitty-gritty. And like I said earlier, if you have not heard of HR 5383, and it's affectionately lovable name, the New Way Forward Act, that wouldn't surprise me because it's not receiving any coverage in the mainstream media. You're not going to hear about it on CNN, MSNBC, or any of the major news publications. And as we break this down for you, you'll you'll come to understand why they don't want this getting out there. They They are really trying to get this to go through under the cover of darkness because it's bad. So let's start off by kind of talking about right now, this bill that's in the House of Representatives, who is supporting or sponsoring this? And currently, the answer to that question is 44 Democrats in the House of Representatives, including such darlings of the progressive left as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar, are big proponents of this. And that's just to name two people that are in favor of this. But it's 44 Democrats. And they're not alone. You know, they're, they're, they're not alone in their support of this. And I think the people that, that are supporting this need, well, the only way I can say this is that this bill is very anti-American. It really is. The bill is about the same length as the Constitution. It's about 4,000 words in length. And like the Constitution, this bill is meant to literally create a whole new country by entirely remaking, upending, and overturning our immigration system. So how does it do that? Well, first, the first thing it would do is you read through the bill here. It says, it would allow criminals to move to the United States and settle here permanently with immunity. Now, I know that sounds crazy, and you may think that I'm exaggerating, but I most certainly am not. One of the biggest things this bill seeks to do is to change the law so that felony convictions would no longer lead to deportations of the guilty. Yes, we're talking felony convictions. Not things like double parking, speeding, or jaywalking, but serious crimes that normally result in the guilty person spending years in prison. Under current U.S. law, illegal immigrants must be deported if they commit a, quote, aggravated felony or crime of moral turpitude, end quote, regardless of the sentence they receive from the judge. Examples of the types of crimes we're talking about here would include such things as robbery, fraud, child molestation, murder, rape, etc., other crimes, such as racketeering, require deportation if the perpetrator receives at least a one-year sentence from the judge. Now, under the New Way Forward Act, crimes of moral turpitude and aggravated felonies are no longer reason for deportation. In fact, within the text of this bill, there would be no crimes that, would, that one person could commit that would require mandatory deportation of the perpetrator if you are an illegal immigrant. No crimes, nothing they could do would require mandatory deportation. Additionally, um, perpetrators convicted of things like, I don't know, falsifying a passport, guess what? They're immune from deportation also. Fal falsifying a passport, can't deport them for that either. I mean, it's just unbelievable. 
for crimes that would still allow the possibility of deportation, instead of only needing a one-year prison sentence to have the, the person deported, now that person would need a five-year prison sentence in order to be kicked out of America. Now, interestingly, it's you know, why'd they pick five years? Well, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, crimes like car theft, fraud, and weapons charges receive sentences well below five years on average. And there are many people that have committed rape, child abuse, and manslaughter, and they receive sentences less than five years. Under the New Way Forward Act, immigrants that commit these types of crimes and receive sentences less than five years would remain in our country and they would be eligible for citizenship on day one. Think that's bad? Well, guess what? There's more. Additionally, the bill would grant sweeping new power to immigration judges to actually nullify a deportation order even if they received the mandatory five-year prison sentence. According to the bill, the judge has the power to nullify a deportation order, quote, if the immigration judge finds such an exercise of discretion appropriate in pursuit of humanitarian purposes to assure family unity or when it is otherwise in the public interest, end quote. Talk about open-ended and broad. They're basically giving these anti-American immigration judges a blank check to open the borders, to just fling the open and say, come on in. There would, there would be no border. And neither you or I would have anything to say in opposition to this because this is given, this power is legislated into this bill. And I will tell you, there are a lot of anti-American immigration judges out there. So don't think that they are thinking of America. They're thinking about these poor, poor illegal immigrants. But that's not all, my friends. There's still more that this bill could do. Check this out. Under current U.S. law, um, it allows for the deportation of illegal immigrants due to drug addiction. Guess what? The bill eliminates that. Current U.S. law states that those who have committed drug crimes abroad or any crime involving moral turpitude are ineligible to immigrate to America. So what that means, for example, is that a Mexican drug cartel leader could be released from prison, then freely come to America immediately. And if he wants to, he can come here illegally because the bill decriminalizes illegal entry into America even by those who have already been deported previously. In other words, basically you break our laws and get deported, and then you enter the country illegally, break our laws again, and guess what? You get to stay. According to a document that is currently promoting this bill, criminalizing illegal entry into America is considered, quote, white supremacist, end quote. <sighs> it's exhausting, people. It's absolutely exhausting. The bill doesn't only make it harder to deport illegal immigrants who commit crimes and make it easier for said illegal immigrants to move to America in the first place, it would also abolish all existing enforcement against illegal immigration. In order to detain illegal immigrants, ICE would have to prove in court that they are dangerous or a flight risk. You would think that would not be too hard. However, ICE would not be allowed to use a detainee's prior criminal record as proof of danger because that would be banned by this bill. Yes, you, you are correct. I know you're thinking, how stupid is that? It's very stupid. And to prove a point of the hypocrisy of this bill and how stupid it is, does anyone out there remember a, a guy by the name of Harvey Weinstein? I hope you do, because he was a pretty bad dude. Now, how would those on the left 
that support this bill feel if we applied the same logic to his case. In his trial, they allowed all his testimony about alleged behavior in his past. So basically, if you or you know if he had harassed women, anything goes. But if someone who's here illegally commits murder in America as an illegal immigrant, that can't be reported in court to have that person deported. Do you see the insanity here? It's crazy. And additionally, just so you know, ICE would have more hurdles to overcome should the detainee claim to be gay or transgender if they're under 21 or can't speak English and an interpreter isn't immediately available, they get a pass. Imagine, think about it. How many people would be instructed on what to say when they come to America? All they'd have to do is claim to be homosexual or claim to be transgender. I mean, it's... It's just exhausting. It's exhausting. And and this bill would make it so much harder to arrest an illegal alien in America than it would to arrest citizens like you and me. I mean, isn't that crazy? This bill, if it becomes law, would make it easier for you and me to be arrested than for people that are here illegally. They would now be the protected class, and we... We would just be the losers paying for it all with our tax dollars. But guess what, guys? I'm not done yet. <laughs> You're probably, your head's probably spinning. You're like, how can it get any worse? Well, there is one last piece that is absolutely nuts. And what that is, is there's a provision in this bill that would require U.S. taxpayer money to bring back into the country previously deported illegal immigrants who have committed crimes that resulted in their deportation. Yep, this bill would not only abolish your rights to control who lives in your country, but it invents a brand new right called the, quote, right to come home, end quote. It orders the government to create a new pathway for those previously deported to apply to return to their homes and families in the United States as long as they would have been eligible under the new law. In other words, this is retroactive. The Department of Homeland Security would be required to use taxpayer money transporting convicted criminal illegal aliens back into the United States. So who would be eligible for these flights? You may be wondering. Tens of thousands of people that we kicked out of our country for all kinds of crimes, including sexual abuse, robbery, assault, drug trafficking, weapons trafficking, human trafficking, And those are just some of the crimes that these people have committed. In fact, looking at the numbers, from 2002 to 2018, a record 480,000 people were deported for illegal entry or re-entry into America. And we, if this bill passes and becomes a law, you and me would have to foot the bill to fly them back here. It's estimated that these tickets to bring these illegal criminals back home to America would run in the neighborhood of roughly $1 billion. And don't forget, if this happens and we shell out the $1 billion to bring them back, don't forget that on top of that, every Democratic candidate left in the 2020 race has said they want we the people to pay for these illegal immigrants, quote, free health care. So a billion dollars to bring them back on planes, and then, oh yeah, we got to pay for their health care. This is absolute, utter insanity. You see, under this legislation, the criminals are now the victims. Law enforcement is illegitimate and racist. 
And apparently, just like everyone in the country where we live, you know, every citizen in America, according to the Democrats backing this bill, is a racist. And that letter I read you earlier before we got into this, didn't you hear what she said? Every Democratic candidate for president talked about how the country at large is racist. It's unbelievable. Well, guys, that's the bill in a nutshell. So hopefully, hopefully you're able to follow along. If not, look it up. It's HR 5383, New Way Forward Act. Um, if you have a legal friend to interpret it for, you may need that. There are some summaries online. But what I want to do is take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to introduce you to someone that has even more information to share with us on the New Way Forward Act. We have all seen it before. Maybe it's even happened to you. You tweet out something that's on your mind and... That's right. The Twitter overlords have placed you in Twitter jail. So much for free speech, right? Well, wrong. There is an alternative and a better platform. I invite you to take a look at Parler.com. Parler was founded in 2018 and is based in Henderson, Nevada. Good old American company. After being exhausted with a lack of transparency in big tech, ideological suppression, and privacy abuse, the co-founders decided to create an alternative solution. Parler provides a commenting and social news platform for digital publishers, influencers, bloggers, writers, politicians, and social users to share news, opinions, and content in real time. Additionally, they provide enterprise tools to enhance online blogs, media, and websites with direct social integrations and monetization capabilities. Parler's goal is to offer the world a platform that protects users' rights, supports publishers, and builds communities. They are not regulators, they are not governors, they simply are a community. I cannot recommend Parler high enough as the best free speech social media platform out there for everyone. It's time to take back control from Twitter and speak your mind. You can find and download the app in either the Apple App Store or on Google Play or on any major web browser, go to parler.com. Once you've downloaded it to your phone, be sure to set up your account. And lastly, make sure you find me by searching for at Red Pill Patriot Show. take a quick moment here to introduce you to uh, someone by the name of Chris Ann Hall. She is a lawyer and a former prosecutor, I believe in the great state of Florida. And the majority of what I share with you so far that is in the bill, the New Way Forward Act, is not what we truly need to be concerned with according to her. What I want to do is I want to play a clip for you where she explains that what is at the heart of this bill and what it, you know, what's at the heart of this bill is more about federal control than any of the other things I've outlined so far. And, and it's a very interesting uh, piece here. So I'm going to go ahead and play this for you, and then we'll discuss it here uh, after the clip. Title V, Prohibition Against Performance of Immigration Officers' Functions by State and Local Officers and Employees. 
Come on, guys. You know what this is a response to, right? This is a response to states enforcing the natural, uh, the, the uniform rule of naturalization. This is a response to states like Arizona, where where you have sheriffs that are deport that are cross taking people across the border. You have Texas people, sheriffs and deputies and police officers are doing their own border patrol, and they're they're taking these people back to the border. That's what this is in response to. What is it actually doing? It is actually removing the authority and the sovereignty of the state to do their job. The officers, employees of any state or any political subdivision of a state are prohibited from performing the function of an immigration officer in relation to the investigation, apprehension, transport, or detention of aliens in the United States or otherwise assist in the performance of such functions. Do you realize how broad that is? Maybe not. Let me let me let me let me give you an explanation. Many of you know that I was a prosecutor here in the state of Florida for a decade. Now, as a prosecutor, prior to George W. Bush, when ICE was INS, okay, there was a system in place that when an alien was arrested for a crime here in the, in, in the state of Florida or anywhere in the United States. So this was across the board. When an alien was arrested for a crime of moral turpitude or a uh, felony of high or, or a felony, right? So it can be um, a, a crime of moral turpitude of lower degree than a felony or a felony. The system established through the Uniform Rule of Naturalization was that I, as a state officer, would now send a form to INS to alert them that I have a non-citizen alien who has committed a crime of moral turpitude or has committed a felony crime. At which point, INS would fax over to the jail a 24-hour detention hold. And within that 24 hours, INS agents would come and get that non-citizen alien who has now committed a crime and bring them into the deportation process, which by the way is a process, okay? When George W. Bush became president and the switch from INS to ICE happened, all of that stopped not under Barack Obama, stopped under George W. Bush. Now with this act, I just want you to be clear. What I did as a state agent in identifying a non-citizen alien who has committed a crime of moral turpitude or a felony crime and reported them to immigration, according to this act, I would be violating the law for doing that. I would be the criminal. And anybody on the state and local level that even tried to identify and report a non-citizen alien who has committed a crime would now be violating the law. This removes the sovereignty of the state. This removes the authority 
of the local government. It actually establishes now the principle that the Marxists and the statists and the federal supremacists have been wanting to establish for a long time now federal supremacy. You see, as it stands now, and everybody in the federal government and everybody in the executive agencies know this. They won't repeat this publicly. They don't want to say this publicly. They won't admit this publicly. But they know in reality that the federal agents have no jurisdiction in the state or in the county without, I, without the sheriff's permission. That the governor can tell the federal agents you have no authority here. That the government, that the sheriff can tell the federal agents, you have no authority here, we will manage this. They know this. It's why they try to buy off our sheriffs with toys and money to sign these mutual jurisdiction agreements. If the federal government didn't have to have permission from your sheriff to exercise authority within your county, then there would be no purpose for a mutual jurisdiction agreement. There'd be no purpose to bribe and extort your sheriff into allowing the federal government in to exercise power. This law would establish by federal law that the federal government is not only superior to the state and local governments within the counties, but also that they are the only, and let me repeat this, that they are the only authority in your state and local governments. This is what the United Nation globalists want. They hate America because we are not France, because we are not Spain. They can't come into Washington, D.C. and take over Washington, D.C. and control the entire union. They can't do it because we are established of a union of independent sovereign states, even recognized to this day by the Supreme Court of the United States. And they have to conquer 50 states, one at a time, in order to take over and enforce their globalist agenda. This law will establish a legal, not constitutional, not lawful, but a legal precedent that the only authority within your state and within your county is the federal government regarding federal matters. And then all the globalists have to do is take over Washington, D.C., and then they have all the states. Yes, it's a threat that... There is a, a loophole the size of the solar system to admit criminals, known criminals, into our country as visa holders and potential citizens. That is huge. But it's really not much different than what's already happening. The big kick in this bill is not the elimination of detention facilities, is not the changing of standards. It's the changing of the guard. It's about placing the federal government as the only authority in your state and local government in regard to federal laws. Now, I am not an apocalyptic speaker in any way, shape, or form. I am not. The sky is falling. 
But I am telling you the purpose hidden deep in here all the way in section five and repeated its way through there, nothing else matters. Why do I say that? Because everything else established in this law as a matter of law can be done through executive order. Period. Seriously. Absolutely everything that is in this law, this new way forward law, everything can be done through executive order. They don't need this law. They just need a president who will enforce their ideology. We ought to know that. Barack Obama already did it. I already told you George W. Bush did it. They don't need this law to, to decriminalize migration. That can be done through executive order. They don't need this law to eliminate private detention facilities. That can be done through executive orders. They don't need this law to change the status quo on who will be detained, who won't be detained. That can be done by executive order. It's already been done under George W. Bush it's already been done under Barack Obama, and it was changed by executive order by President Trump. The only purpose for the new way forward law is contained in Title V to try to strip the state and local governments from their authority to be a check and balance on the federal government. It's the only reason for this law. And that's what we need to take out of this. This is an attack on the sovereignty of the state, the greatest check and balance on the federal government to establish a federal government that is uncheckable. What is an uncheckable federal government? A federal government whose only check and balance is itself. And that's not who we are. If this idea seems foreign to you or objectionable to you that the states are actually the essential, most powerful check and balance on the federal government. If this sounds foreign to you, or if maybe <clears throat> some professor taught you differently, you need to get informed on the truth, and we'd be happy to help you do that. And so I hope that you can take away now the most important thing from the New Way Forward Act. I guarantee you're not hearing about this in the mainstream media. The only purpose for this act is contained in Title V. Everything else can and has been done at one point or another through executive order. It's an attack on you. It's an attack on me. And we can't sit by and let it happen. Wow. Holy cow. So, of, of note here, you know, everything that I outlined there that probably had you terrified and, and scared that they're going to do, that can all be done with executive orders, which... You know, in recent presidencies, we've seen, you know, executive orders going back and forth under President Obama. We saw a bunch of them under President Trump. We've seen a few of them. And what's kind of scary is that she does point out there, guys, that all they need to do majority of this bill, they don't need the bill to pass. It's there, but they really just need a president who supports their ideology. All they need is President Bernie Sanders, President Joe Biden, although Joe's like taking a tank big time, 
Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg, all these people support this kind of stuff. So realistically, like she said, we have to vote is, is the main takeaway. You have to vote. If you support freedom, if you support the, the sovereignty of the states, if you support the Constitution, you have to get out and vote. And in looking at the choices that we have, you know, whether you like President Trump or not, he is the stopping point for this. I mean, realistically, they want to destroy America in the name of progress. And it's pretty, pretty freaking scary. But, you know, so that's that. And then this, this Section 5 or Title 5 portion of the bill, she makes it very clear that this is the crux. This is the crux. They want to get rid of the f- sovereign power of the states and exert federal control over us all. Okay? That is the big, big takeaway from the New Way Forward Act. So I hope that everything I've shared with you today on the New Way Forward Act has been a wake-up call of what is going on within Washington, D.C., with partic- in particular with this bill. It is more important than ever that we, the people, educate ourselves and make sure we know who we are sending to Washington to represent us. Dig into your candidates. Look at them. See what their positions are. Question them. Make sure you know who you're sending to Washington because we are getting to a point in the history of this country where we can't sit idly by. Because if we sit idly by, we will lose our freedoms. We will lose what has made America great for hundreds of years. We'll lose it. It'll be gone. I would encourage you to do your own research regarding this bill and anything I say. Okay, don't just take my word for it. Go out, use this as a, as a, as a springboard, a platform to, to dig in and find out for yourself. And if you have questions, please message me. Get in touch with me. I'll do my best to answer your questions. And if I don't know the answer, I'll find out how, you know, find out what I can. But make sure that you understand what's at stake for our country. And more importantly, make your voice heard everywhere you can. Social media, spread this far and wide. The show, what you've learned get it out there. More people need to know about this because whether you, you know, obviously we've made it clear this bill is not about race at all. This bill is, is, is about so much more than such a superficial topic as, as race is, you know, this is all about giving the federal government just more power. I mean, that's clear. And on top of giving the federal government more power, it's about taking away power from the States. It's about taking power away from you and me as Americans. As always, I really appreciate you tuning in and ask that you subscribe to the podcast if you like what I'm doing. Please share it with others you know and be sure to give it a five-star rating. And if you'd like to get in touch with me or leave comments about the show, I'm on all the major social media platforms. You can reach us at redpillpatriot.fan at fastmail.com. On Facebook, it's the Red Pill Patriot Show. On Twitter, it's at Red Pill Patriot, and that's R, the number 3D, Pill Patriot. We do have an Instagram channel, and that's the Red Pill Patriot Show. On Minds.com, at Red Pill Patriot. And lastly, on Parlor, you can reach me at Red Pill Patriot Show. As I get ready to wrap things up, I want you to remember that truth is only common sense clarified. Until next time, America. American dream.
picket fence on the landscape lawn with a 30-year fixed a pretty little wife laying out by the pool a Mercedes-Benz and a couple of kids in a fancy private school a six-figure hobby with a 401k paints a pretty scene on the silver screen but that stuff just ain't for me my American dream is a bottle of beam turned up when the sun goes down Kid rock and coal on the stereo, bunch of rowdy friends getting loud Down by the riverside, girls looking fine in tank tops and cut off jeans You can keep your fancy fantasy, and I'll keep living my American dream Tied in the Tennessee lottery My American dream is a bottle of bean Turned up when the sun goes down Kid rock and coal on the stereo Bunch of rowdy friends getting loud Down by the riverside Girls looking fine in tank tops and cut off jeans Keep your high society And I'll keep living my American dream Club. But if you're down for some old down home, you can always party with us Our American dream is a bottle of bean turned up when the sun goes down Kid rock and coal on the stereo, bunch of rowdy friends getting loud Down by the riverside, girls looking fine in tank tops and cut off jeans Keep your high society and I'll keep living my